The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you back here at Bromley Town Church. Even though we're not face-to-face, it is good to be together um, online. Today, we're picking up on the second part of the series on Peter. Now, before we get into the message, I'd like to share with you something from the play Hamilton. Many of you maybe saw it. It played here in London for some time, um, and it's played in, in New York for quite a while as well. But in this play, there's a politician uh, who wants to be in the room where all the decisions are being made. And in that room are Alexander Hamilton and Jefferson and, and another guy who are making big decisions outside of Congress's uh, uh, control. And they're working and negotiating these things. And one man, Alexander Burr, wants to be part of it. And one of the songs in there kind of presents his, his desire to be a part of it. And this is the song called the room where it happens. Here's some of the lyrics from that. When you've got skin in the game, you stay in the game. Oh, you get love for it. You get hate for it. You get nothing if you wait. Wait for it. Wait. God help me and forgive me. I want to build something that's going to outlive me. What do you want? If you are standing for nothing, then what do you fall for? What do you want? I want to be in the room where it happens. And I just see a a correlation here that this man, Burr, wanted to be in the room where the decisions were made. In relation to Jesus, here is the moment in history where the plan of God is unfolding and Jesus is brought to earth. He's doing miraculous things. Things are about to happen. And who does God plant in the room? Peter and the disciples. Peter is planted in the very heart of what God is doing on the earth. And he didn't even know it. But he was planted right there. And so he is, in a sense, in the room where it happens. He's in the most turbulent and mixed up and uncertain time that you could possibly imagine. He had aspirations of who Jesus would be. And Jesus was not what he expected. But let's just back up. Pastor Jonathan last week covered the calling of Peter, how he got a new name and a new, a new start in life. Jesus meets him, and after he Jesus sees some miracle, or after Peter sees some miracles, he's out fishing one night, and Jesus is on shore. And he comes in, he's got no fish. And Jesus says, Simon, go back out. And Peter, a professional fisherman, says to Jesus, oh, we're tired. We're really tired. We've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. And then there's this moment in time where the next line says, but because you say so. And he goes back out. In the moment they get out there, the net gets so full, they need another boat to help bring in all the fish. And Peter's witnessing this. 
And he, as a professional fisherman, has probably done everything possible that night to catch fish. And he's seen Jesus not even get into the boat. And by his very command, these fish have filled the net that weren't there five minutes before. And Peter falls at his face, falls down on his knees and says, Oh, get away from me. I am a sinful man. He came in contact with this being that was far beyond him, had more power than him, and he was undone. The beautiful thing about this calling of Peter is one that it sets out a whole road for him to walk down. But it's that Jesus isn't afraid of Peter's sin. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, go back and do penance or do this. No, he begins immediately to speak destiny over his life. You are going to leave fishing and you're going to become a fisher of men. And instantly he's willing, he's willing to do it. He speaks destiny over his life. And it's just beautiful because it enters into this new life of walking with Jesus. And that's what the part I'm going to cover today. The life that Peter had while living with Jesus on earth. This amazing turbulent time where he was in the room where it happened. All right. Uh, with this life, this discipleship, if you will, with Jesus, there were both joys and challenges. We can expect the same. But there was joy just being around Jesus. It says in the scriptures that Jesus was full of joy. That he, had, he even dined with people that others were outcasts. He was good to be around to see miracles, to see amazing things happen, to speak words of wisdom, to just be around him was amazing. And then the miracles, the demon-possessed people set free, somebody's arm withered up. Can you imagine day after day, what is going to happen today? The joy and wonder of being with Jesus. And at times, there were huge crowds that followed. The challenges were there too, and they were very real challenges. And sometimes the challenges came right after a great joy. It was high and then really low. Some of the challenges were people leaving, his hard teachings, not understanding, opposition faced from religious leaders and others, the sacrifices being made of leaving family, maybe even children behind. Aspirations, dreams, the dreams or aspirations that your family hold for you, leaving all that behind. And then last of all, being corrected. That's challenging, especially when you have in your mind what is right, and then somebody comes and changes it. And this isn't just something off to the side. This is your life. This is what you've given your life to be a part of. And somebody saying, no, -uh, you had the wrong idea. So we want to talk about these joys and challenges. But know that, that Peter was literally right in the room where all this happened. In looking at the scriptures, I found that Andrew's name in the gospel, Andrew was Peter's brother, is mentioned 11 times in the gospels. That's it. John's name is mentioned 19 times. And interestingly, in the gospel of John, he never mentions his own name. He mentions John the Baptist. But in his own book, John never mentioned his own name. James is mentioned 22 times in the Gospels. 
But Peter, or Simon Peter, or Simon, is listed 124 times. He was a leader. He was always the one to speak out first. He was part of a core that often was called aside to be with Jesus, and he would speak with them. Peter, James, and John. Those three. Not even his little brother Andrew, but those three were kind of the inner core of the disciples. And he was always in the middle of everything, asking questions, doing things that were kind of like a little bit abrupt. Um, but that was Peter. And some suggest it's because Peter was older than the others. He was the only one that's recorded as being married. Um, but let's look at this for a minute. Great crowds. In Luke 6.17, it speaks of these great crowds, masses of people coming from all over. In fact, that verse speaks of, them, of people coming from Tyre and Sidon, coming from Jerusalem and all throughout Galilee. They were coming to see Jesus. How exciting was that for Peter? And then in Luke 12, verse 1, it literally says the crowds got so heavy. Thousands, it says, came that people were trampling on one another just to be near Jesus. Now, that was joyful, but exciting and maybe a little bit overwhelming. I mean, the crowds are massive at times. He was like a movie star in a way, and, and Peter's just there kind of in for the ride. And then you've got people leaving, the challenging side. In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, isn't that interesting that John 666 is about people leaving? It says, because of the hard teaching, many people left. And Jesus asks him a question at this point. And he turns to the disciples and asks a very profound question that we'll get into later. That who do you say that I am? But we'll get back to that. So crowds flocked Jesus, there was joyful times, and then there was despairing times where everybody's gone. In Luke 5, verse 30, it says that the religious men were grumbling to the disciples because Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. So here's Jesus having a great meal at Levi's house, celebrating all this. Where do the religious leaders go? They're not going to Jesus and saying, why are you doing this? If you read the scriptures, they're going to Peter and the disciples saying, why does your master do this? That was challenging. Being with Jesus was not always easy. There's another time in Luke 6 where the disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath and they're eating some of the heads of grain. And the religious leaders come against them all. This time they approach Jesus. And you got to imagine Peter's there and all of those guys. Oh my. These are the big dudes. These are the guys who know the scriptures. These are the rabbis and the men who are teachers. And they are confronting. <gasps> We've sinned. And what does Jesus do? He defends them. No. He comes to the defense. Can you imagine being Peter? Whew, he got us out of that one. Luke 8, 9 through 10. And this is beautiful because Peter is part of this inner core. But this is to all the disciples. He takes him aside and he says, to you, not to everybody else, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. you imagine Peter? Wow. This man who does miracles, he is saying to us, we have something nobody else gets. And in another place, Jesus takes him aside and says, 
Blessed are your eyes that see what you see because many prophets long to see these days. You are in a special moment. This is not ordinary. And you've been selected for this time. Another bit is um, in Luke chapter 8, a little further down. They're in a storm. Jesus is sleeping. Peter obviously is in this. It's not listed there. But the disciples are listed all in the boat. And this is the Peter that fell at his knees. He said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus rises up from the boat. And he says, calm, be still. And every one of these guys on the boat say, who is this? That even the wind and the wave obey him. Like he blew their mind. Like, I thought I knew who he was, but he's just gone up a whole nother level. Sickness and disease bowed to him. Demons bowed to him. Now the waves? Who is this man? There are other people in the Old Testament who actually had some impact on weather. One of them was Elijah. Elijah also was a miracle-working guy. He, he saw healings. He saw people raised from the dead. And it said, and these disciples must have known that the one who was coming would come in the spirit of Elijah. So here is this Jesus. And it's got to be stirring in them that this is the Messiah. He's coming in the same power of Elijah. Now there's another moment. And here Peter's name is mentioned specifically. In Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through uh, 56. Now, time permits me from, uh, prevents me from reading all these, but these are wonderful verses for you to study at home. But there's a story of the synagogue ruler comes to Jesus and says, my little girl is dying. Desperately, desperately. My only girl, please come and save her. And so Jesus says, yes. And they're walking along the way, and the disciples are with them in this. And on the way, the crowd is pressing in on him. The excitement, the wonder that Peter must have had. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, Who touched me? Who touched me? And everybody denies it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And then it's Peter that speaks up. And Peter says, Lord, we're surrounded by people and they're all pressing in on you. How can you say who touched you? And he, Jesus says, I know someone touched me because power has gone out from me. And then the woman says, it was me. I had an issue of blood for 12 years. I'm healed. And then in all this commotion and everything, the friends of Jairus come up and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. The little girl is dead. And Jesus says, take faith. Don't give up. Come with me. And they walk off. And the disciples are with them. This whole thing has just happened. And in the midst of this, they're going off to another miracle. Jesus can handle anything. What's next? Can you imagine Peter's wonder? He was placed in the room where things happen. And here, he comes into Jairus' house. The mourners are already there crying. And Jesus says, the little girl is not dead, she's sleeping. And they mock Jesus. That's what the scripture says. They mocked him and they laughed. And Jesus says, Peter, James, John, you come with me. Mom and dad, come on in. And he goes in the room and he raises the little girl from the dead. Once again, something Messiah would come to do. So Peter is in awe. Who is this man? 
This is the second time I've seen him raise the dead. He raised the widow's son a couple days ago. Now he's raising this little girl. Who is this man? Now, all this comes to a climax is to answer that question. Who is this man? And Jesus says to the disciples, and this is right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. It's also in Matthew and in Luke, because this is key. Who Jesus is matters, and he's proven himself to these men. And Peter's the one who speaks up afterwards. But at first they say, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist, raised from the dead. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus has an amazing reaction to this. Everything changes after this. And this is where it gets really challenging for Peter and the disciples. Let's turn, first of all, to Matthew 16, 13 through 23, because what Jesus says to them is powerful and Peter's response is amazing. 16, verse 13 through 23. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon. Only the Father could reveal this. This amazing thing. Wow, joy. Jesus has just confirmed that I'm hearing from heaven. Amazing joy. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. But then he starts changing the narrative. Their mindset was Messiah is coming and going to bring them freedom from the Roman oppression. And Jesus says, no. In many other places he says, I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And they could not handle this. This was challenging. Walking with Jesus is challenging sometimes because it doesn't make sense to our thoughts. And I'll skip down to verse 23. Actually, 22. And Peter took Jesus aside. Interesting. Jesus, Peter doesn't try to rebuke him in front of everybody. He knows his place to some degree. But Peter takes him aside and says, hey, no way. You're not going to die. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting on your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And then it says that then Jesus told the disciples, like he's been rebuked by Peter by the side and he notices everybody's paying attention. And he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other gospels, he says literally, 
or in fact, it says it there, take up your cross and follow me. He not only knows he's going to die, but Jesus is giving them a taste of how he's going to die. He knows already. Peter can't fathom this. Can you imagine? Only heaven could have revealed this to you, Peter. And the next second, it's, get behind me, Satan. And I think Jesus is underscoring the importance that they understand this. This is a rebuke to awaken his eyes that what he's been taught or the misunderstandings he has must be adjusted. This isn't a subtle thing. This is about the mission that he has on earth. The last story I want to tell before we wrap this up is the transfiguration because it shows us a little bit about Peter and that's found in Luke 9, 28 through 36. Jesus... Peter, James, and John are walking along and then Jesus walks up this hill and all of a sudden he becomes resplendent with light. It says that he was wearing clothes that were whiter than any bleach could possibly make it. He was brilliant. And then before these Jewish boys' eyes, they see Elijah and Moses, two of the most important uh, figures in Jewish thought. Here's Moses, the one who wrote the Torah, the one that they studied as children. Starting as early as age five, they would begin to memorize parts of Moses' writings. And here's Elijah, the one who brought fire from heaven, the one who raised the dead, the one who, took, who stood up against evil kings and queens. Amazing. Here he is, and it says that Peter stood there. He didn't even know what he was saying. And he says... Uh, maybe we should make uh, tents for, for all three of you. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this time, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. A voice from heaven shouts down and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Talk about getting rebuked. He had no comprehension, no understanding. This glorious moment, and he just starts shooting out his mouth. And God says, no, listen to Jesus. In essence, Moses and Elijah are here, but really, the attention is on my son still. So, we also know that Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. And Peter says to him at the, at the dinner table, at this festival, this, this Passover feast, he says, Jesus, come on, i die for you. And he meant it. Because later that night, when the soldiers came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's Peter who cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. But it's also Peter that Jesus speaks to when he says, Simon, could you not pray for one hour? He's addressing Peter. It's very personal. The weight that was on Peter. He's correcting but Peter loved his Lord. Then he denied him three times that evening. And I, I, you can only imagine the difficulties he went through after having disowned his Savior, disowned the one he saw do miracles, the trouble that was in his soul, the talk about being leveled down and challenged beyond understanding. Joy was gone. What has happened? The Messiah. What? How to process that? He's going to be killed like one of the prophets? Is this just another story? What's happening? But it's worthy of note 
that Peter ran to the tomb when Jesus was rose from the dead. Peter ran. And then Jesus meets him on the shore one day while he's fishing. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. And there's another story of that. But he comes and restores Peter. He's gone through the most challenging season. In fact, Jesus said what he went through was sifting like wheat. That Satan had asked to sift Peter like wheat. But he came through. With that said, this is just a little glimpse into the life of Peter. And next week we're going to cover Peter after the resurrection. But there are joys and challenges in our faith. There is the elation of coming into contact with him, knowing his love, knowing his grace, feeling forgiven, knowing that you have a new start and a new name, and seeing wonderful things. But then there's challenges, challenges to our thinking, challenges of what we think is right and wrong, challenges about our own sacrifices and laying things down. However, whatever we do, we can learn from Peter that when we make mistakes, when we face challenges, we stick with our Savior. We stick with the one we know is the Christ, and he sees us through. He's willing to even come back and meet with Peter on the shore to help restore him. He'll restore you. So the life of Jesus, being with him, is both joy and challenge, and he will use your mistakes to form you into the person who will do his will. God bless you, and I hope you'll take time to read those scriptures. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning, or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.